Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Thank you again for having all the patience to stay with all the technical uh, challenges. We're here together now. Um, let us dedicate our learning today. Um, may he have a aliyah and uh, may his neshama reach kiseh kavod. Also for the refuah shelema of Tamar Bathuta. I'd like to do some learning together with you today on the upcoming holiday of Sukkot. And so there's so much to do. If you have um, humashim that have the chamisha humshe, that would be the best, because I think we're going to be touching upon almost every sefer today. I'll just start off by saying that it's beautifully placed, this holiday that we're going to refer to finally as Sukkot. Um, when I say finally, it's because the Torah goes through a process of calling it Sukkot. It has other names. Um, it appears so beautifully for the first time in our experience where we even see the word Sukkot, where we even see the name for the holiday Sukkot. We're not even sure it's the name of the holiday, but it first appears in Parashat Vayishlach. And it appears very beautifully the way the holidays present themselves now, where we have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then we go into Sukkot. The Torah sort of starts by suggesting that you can't even contemplate, you can't even imagine having a holiday called Sukkot without first having the Yom Kippur experience. So the Yom Kippur experience is what's going to open the doors to Sukkot, and we see it so beautifully in Parashat Vayishlach, in chapter uh, 33, after Yaakov and Esav, and we've done a lot of talk about this whole uh, pigisha, this whole meeting that they have when Yaakov is coming back from having spent his 21, 22 years by Lavan, and he wants to get back into the land and he wants to come back and come back to a place that is home. We're going to talk about the difference between home and sukkah. But in order for him to find his way home, he has to pass through this Esav uh, interaction. We know the story well. He prepares for it. He uses words like katonti mikola chasadim umikol haemet. When he prays to God, it's for us to also understand and internalize what's going to bring us to Sukkot. And one of the ideas that we're going to have is this feeling of vulnerability. This feeling that we are katan, that we are small. Even though God does all of these chasadim for us, and he does all of this emet for us, and he does all of this uh, kindness and, and acts with truth towards us, there's still this aspect of katon. We still don't feel like we have arrived, like we, have, like we are accomplished or like we are on sturdy ground. And Sukkot, hopefully, as oxymoronic as that might sound, is going to be the holiday that through our vulnerabilities we will achieve true strength and true joy. It's called the holiday of Simcha, and we're going to go through it with the various passages that talk about being Sameach on this holiday. 
But there is an avenue, there is a journey that has to be taken in order to get to this place called Sukkot. Yaakov models it for us. He goes first. He faces his greatest challenges. What are his greatest challenges? At his point in his life, he needs to get back home and the biggest roadblock has the letters Esav written on them because he needs to penetrate. He needs to, he can't go over it and he can't go under it. He literally has to go through this roadblock called Esav. And what does that mean? He has to really engage with and he has to be honest. It's really a lot of what we did on Yom Kippur. There's a sense of vidui. There's a sense of a chapera panav bamincha. There's a sense of this kapara that Yaakov, in the worst way, wants to do with Esav because he knows that his own personal Yom Kippur will lead him to his personal Sukkot. And his personal Yom Kippur, <coughs> we've stated in the past, is he actually says, please, my brother, take these gifts, take what I'm offering you, please take minchati miyadi, take my offering, and so in taking something from me, you'll actually be giving me the greatest gift, which is the gift of forgiveness and the gift of brotherhood. I'm going to walk into our Sukkot now, thousands of years later, we're going to come into our Sukkot holiday with this backdrop. And if you have your Chumashim, it would be beautiful for you to see it together um, all the way in Perek 33. It's Parashat Vayishlach. In verse 17, this is the first appearance. The name of this place, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Let me first read the verse to you. Ve'Yaakov Nasasukota. The name of the place that Yaakov is going to travel to is Sukota. Vayiven Lobayit. He's actually the first one to build a house for himself which is really, really very telling when we see that it's in contrast to the Sukkot. He gets to a place called Sukkot, yet he builds, you'd expect him to build a Sukkah. Instead, he builds a Bayit. But for his possessions, for his Mikneh, could also be his cattle or his livestock, Asas Sukkot. He makes these booths or these sheds or these Sukkahs and therefore the name of the place becomes Sukkot. We already called it Sukkot from the onset. And maybe where Yaakov is arriving to is not just a place, but it's a space. And what do we mean by this space? It's the very same Sukkot that we're going to be referring to now, thousands of years later, that we are going to be living in. So there's going to be a transformation, a realization. Yaakov's transformation has to be our transformation as well. We're going to walk in his footsteps. We're going to understand that what he did in going through this Kippur experience, we're going to understand that that's going to lead not only him to Sukkot, but us to Sukkot. But in order to understand what this even means, what is Sukkot on a practical level? Let's see now where Sukkot appears 
as an instruction, as a holiday, as a tzivui. So if you'll turn to Parashat Mishpatim in Sefer Shemot, chapter 23, verse 16, I apologize, I am going to be um, moving along quickly because there are a lot of sources that I want you to see so we could put them all into our uh, basket and really appreciate all of them together. If you see verse 16, and you'll see that before, um, before, well, we'll start in, in verse 16, it says, V'chag hakatsir, and, um, where am I? Okay, at verse 16, and the festival of the harvest of the fruits of the field, that's referring to Shavuot, asher tizra basadeh, that you will put in your field, and also Chag HaAsif, the first time that we're going to now see the holiday, I'm sorry, see this festival being introduced to us as a holiday, not as a, just a place or a space or a structure. It's going to be called Chag HaAsif. And when they introduced it to us for the first time, I don't know anything about it. I don't know when. If you tell me, okay, I'm going to pull out my calendar so I could mark it on my calendar and I go here to this source, I have no idea when the holiday is, how many days the holidays is, what I should do on this holiday. It's called Chag HaAsif. I don't even know yet that Chag HaAsif is actually Sukkot. I'm telling you that it's Sukkot. But the truth of the matter is, if you're only in Parashat Mishpatim, you should be a little bit lost on the practical application of this verse. There's a holiday, it's called Chag Hatzif, it's Betzet Hashana, as the year goes out. I don't even know when the year goes out is. I might think at the end of the 12th month, before coming into Nisan might be Chag HaAsif. It could be anything. But it does say, Be'ospecha et ma'asecha min hasadeh. When you actually collect your produce from the field. And then it says, three times a year, you're going to come to see Pene HaAdon. And since we had already mentioned Chag HaMatzot and Chag HaKatsir, we infer the Chag HaAsif must be the third one and it must be Sukkot. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Why are you calling it Chag HaAsif? Why make things difficult and complicated? Chag HaMatzot, I don't think anybody has a question about that. Chag HaKatsir is actually okay because we know that that's the holiday of Bikurim Maasecha. We know the Bikurim is tied together with Shavuot. But Chag HaAtzif, Betzet HaShana, I'm a little lost because I thought we just entered the new year. I thought Rosh HaShana is the beginning of our year. So maybe it's the leaving of the agricultural year, which it is, and at the end of the agricultural cycle, so we know now Sukkot is the time that we're intended to be happiest because it's the time that we're now going to be able to take an accounting and be happy with the fruits of our labor. And it's important to tell us to be happy because even if we get a million fruits, 
when we turn around and we see our neighbor has 1.2 million and we see the guy across the street has 1.4 million, we might not be happy. So the Torah has to tell us you have to be happy with your lot and with your stuff. But right now, just so we have a sense, when Torah introduces the holiday of Sukkot, it's called Chag HaAsif, the holiday of ingathering. And we're going to have to talk about that, but we can't talk about it without the next reference so that we could start to um, have them play with each other. So if you'll turn to Kitisa, um, which is Shemot 34, Shemot 34, verse 22. Again, we have this idea where we're going to have um, first Chag mentioned in verse 22. Back with the Bikurim and Shavuot. We got that down. I'm not sure what that means. It seems to be saying that Chag HaAsif, and please notice the spelling here of Chag HaAsif, has a Yud. The first Chag HaAsif did not have the Yud, and this one does. If you were one of those um, commentaries who likes to ascribe um, interpretations to the missing letters or the added letters, this is an easy one because the Yud for Hashem's name, the Yud Kevavke, we're already going to start seeing that part of Chag HaAsif is you have to add the Yud. You have to carry the Yud with you. You have to realize that whatever it is that you produced in your field, for better or for worse, is partnered with Hashem's involvement. So, Vechag HaAsif, and now they're telling us, is Tekufat Hashana. I'd like to say that Tekufat Hashana means the season of the year. It's the grand season. It's the grand time. And then again, we have verses that we read in our Kiddush, Shalosh Pa'amim Bashana, Yera'e Kol Zechurecha, Et Peneha Adon, Hashem, Elohei Yisrael. This is still one of the three pilgrimages is part of this Sukkot. So just to backtrack, if you tuned in just a minute ago and you want to know what I'm talking about, I want to establish what the um, significance of the holiday is. And I'd like to point out that it's really not called the holiday of Sukkot. I don't know if any of you noticed, but we already came to the first two references of this holiday. It wasn't called Sukkot. Nobody said anything about a lulav or an etrog or a tazwarava. And nowhere have I seen anything about the star of the show, which is actually the sukkah. I haven't seen that yet. So if I got up to Parashat Kitisa, I'm a little bit in the dark of how to celebrate this holiday. I know it is a holiday, but I'm not sure exactly what should be done. And then it starts to get exciting in Parashat Emor, which is in Sefer Vayikra, Perek 23, 
verse 39, this is where it starts to become clear. And then we're going to have to ask, why did you leave me in the dark? Why did you waste two references of the holiday telling me basically nothing? I don't even know if it's seven days, if it's a two-day holiday, if it's a one-day. Should I fast? I know nothing. But now, thank goodness for parashat emor. So verse 39 says, ach, which is a word that you're going to see, ach, come on later on, ach sameach. Hopefully we'll get to talk about that too. So it means here, the English says, but, I don't think that that's a great translation. Ach, I'll leave it at that. On the 15th day of the seventh month, oh, thank you very much. Now I could put the day on my calendar. It's the 15th day of the seventh month. Thank you. Be'ospechem, that was the asif part of it, when you collect the tevuat ha'aretz, tachogu et chag Hashem. Hold on. Now we have 18 new things happening. First of all, the holiday has a new name, an added name, not just chag ha'asif, it's Chag Hashem. Now you're going to ask me, how do I know that that Chag HaAsif is this Chag Hashem? I'm going to bank on these words, Be'ospechem, because it called it Chag HaAsif. Okay. I also know now that it's for seven days, and that on the first day is a Shabbaton, and I know the eighth day is a Shabbaton, so I'm introducing now, it's not just a seven-day holiday, it's attached to an eighth day. Oh, guess what also? Well, I better get my, my notepad out. I have so many notes to take. There's a ton of info being given here. I also have to take on the first day my pri et hadar, my etrog, my kapot temarim, my lulav, my anaf et avot, and my arvenachal. I have to take all of my four minim. And then there's an extra piece. Usemachtem. It's a command. In case anybody wasn't sure, it's going to say it here, and it will say it again. There is a command to be happy, before Hashem, your God. If we had all the time in the world, we would say how it doesn't just say, because it's a chag Hashem. It's, you have to be happy with your relationship with God. Hashem Elohecha, the one that allows you to be a co-creator in his world from Aditz to Shamayim. The Simcha is going to have to come from below to above. For seven days, Chakotim, you're going to celebrate this Chag Hashem Again, this God's holiday. Seven days, it's going to be I hope you're taking notes, says God, because I'm adding more instructions. It's a chukat olam ledorotechem. It's a chok. You may not understand, but it's something that must be kept eternally, and that's why we're still building Sukkot till today for all generations. On the seventh month, we're going to celebrate this, and then finally, I'm going to be given even more instructions. So far, my instructions are to... Take the forminim to be happy. And last, and I'm going to say of course, but not least, and I'll, maybe I should say this, you can't sit in your sukkah 
unless you're coming with your forminim and your happiness. So there's no moody faces in the sukkah. It doesn't work. There's a process. There's a prerequisite. In order to come into the sukkah, you have to have done all this already. Then, and only then, in our third reference of Sukkot as a holiday, at the very end, it's finally going to give us the famous Besukot Teshvu Shivat Yamim. You're going to sit inside booths for seven days, and everybody who is part of Israel is going to sit in Sukkot. And why? Oh my gosh, there's even more information. I have a purpose for the holiday so that your generations and future generations will know that I, says God, housed you in Sukkot when I took you out of Egypt. Ani Hashem Elohechem. I am Hashem, your God. And Moshe speaks all of this to Bnei Israel. And this is the end of the Torah reading for Sukkot. The reading for Sukkot, this is the piece that they choose uh, to read. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. Moshe is, of course, giving them this information, but we're adding a name to the holiday. Why are we calling this holiday that was once Chag Ha'asif? We are now calling it Chag Lahashem. Have that. And as Chag Lahashem, ask yourself these questions. As Chag Lahashem, there are all the instructions for the holiday. And maybe one of the things that will help us understand the importance of this holiday is here where it's Chag Lahashem. I'll read you a few words. Be'osfechem. Tachogu, ulkachtem, usmachtem. Anybody notice that when it's a chag lahashem, it's being said in the plural. There is this understanding, as I just gave you the first two holiday references where it was chag ha'asif, I could have imagined that this was a holiday between me and my uh, agricultural endeavors, me and God. It was in the singular. But when it becomes a Chag Hashem, all of a sudden I'm part of a larger community. I'm part of something even greater. So let's talk about first Chag HaAsif. Go, I'm going back to the first because we need to establish there has to be a difference between Chag HaAsif and Chag Hashem. So if Chag HaAsif, and maybe this will help us out, we know somebody in Torah who was called the Me'asef, Ha-Me'asef. You know who he was? Yosef. Yosef is considered the Me'asef, the gatherer. Why is he called the gatherer? Because he's the one who's going to gather not only the crops in Egypt and end up uh, sustaining and supporting the entire Mesopotamian region and then the entire world, not only because of that, but he's the one that's going to collect his brothers as well. So there's a component of Sukkot. It's called Chag HaAsif. Chag HaMe'asif. It is the time when we're going to start to bring things together. 
You could look at the four minim in a beautiful way, that we're taking them together, things that aren't so congruous, we're bringing around the chubby lulav together with a tall, skinny etrog, we're bringing different kinds and we're bringing them together and we're holding them both in our hands together at the same time. And of course, it's not just about different kinds. There are beautiful, I think, a Kabbalistic interpretation is the heart is the etrog, and the eyes are like the myrtle, and the arava are like the lips, the lulav is like the spine, and we're, we're sort of bringing kol atzmotai, all of our bones, all of every part of us is, is going to be involved in this holiday, or in this endeavor of making Sukkot, this Chag for Hashem Elohechem. In other words, I'm going to use all my faculties in order to pursue this relationship that I'm going to have with Hashem, my partner. And I need to do all of that so that I can get that energy flowing, that, that below energy flowing uh, above. We could start by with saying things like that, but maybe if we take one more uh, reference, the pieces will gel a little together because there's more to it than just Yosef being the one who gathers his brother or the one who gathers the wheat in Egypt. There's way more to it than that. So if you go to Bemidbar, chapter 29. Let me see if I can find it myself. One second. Chapter, I have it. Chapter 29, verse 12. Now we're going to start to things to get a little bit more exciting. Again, this is always listed in a group of the holidays. Of course, before we have this Sukkot reference, we have the Yom Kippur reference. We're going to go from Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur, and then we're going to come in verse 12 to Chamisha Asar Yom on the 15th day of the seventh month. Don't do any work. You're going to have a Chag Lahashem. Again, we didn't really say what this means, Chag Lahashem, so we're going to talk about it, but I needed you to see this first. For seven days, now we have a new added wrinkle. What's going to happen? You're going to bring an offering, a fire offering, an Olah, to Hashem, and it's going to consist of uh, all of the all of this uh, livestock, you're going to bring um, young bulls, rams, lambs. All these are going to be unblemished, um, and also besides that, you're going to bring a flower offering. You're going to bring a minchat solet belulaba shaman, and it gives on and on all of the uh, specifics of it. Let's sit back for a minute. There's a lot of things being said in this reference of Sukkot. Yes, it's a Chag Lashem, and you may think so because that's when we bring all these offerings to God. But if we look a little bit closely at the offerings, it's beautiful. They happen to be 70 because they mirror the 70 nations that we are bringing into and taking responsibility for. So all of a sudden we start to say, wait a minute, it's not just a holiday for me and my own little farm. It's a communal holiday, but it's not just a communal holiday, it's a universal holiday. And very often Sukkot will be referred to as the universal holiday because it's the holiday where as Jews, 
we become responsible for the entire universe. But really, how does that happen? And I think the Pesukim just unfold so beautifully. They say, you know, the first thing that you bring is a cow. And the second thing that, or I'll say livestock. And then the second thing that you bring is a flower offering or a wheat offering. You might know where I'm going with this. Who might bring an animal offering? I would suggest a shepherd, somebody who has animals in, at arm's length. And who might bring a wheat offering? I would suggest a farmer, a person who is in close contact with the agriculture. And so I see Tamara already smiling. I think she recognizes where I'm going with this. And that is all of a sudden, as we're celebrating our Sukkot holiday, it might be considered a holiday la Hashem because it's a holiday that God is asking both the shepherd and the farmer to come together. Both the shepherd and the farmer. And before we go to the shepherd farmer, because most of you know where I'm going to take you with that, Maybe now we could understand why it's called Chag HaAsif. Because Yosef wasn't just the one who gathered the food and gathered his brothers. He was Ro'e et Echav. He started out as a shepherd and then he became a farmer. He became an agricultural uh, magnate. He's the one who got all of Egypt, and, and you know, there's a beautiful secret to how it was possible that his um, storehouses, uh, his siles of the wheat and barley and all that didn't spoil when everybody else also stored wheat. What was it about his wheat that, what, yes, it was blessed by God, I'm not going to say no, that's a great answer, but what was it specifically? The commentaries bring down something very beautiful. And they say that Yosef knew an agricultural trick. Or maybe even he was the one to create or invent it. And only he could be the one to, to, to think of this because he himself had this experience. His experience was that if you take him out of Eretz Canaan and you throw him in Egypt into the bowels of the immorality and everything that Egypt had to offer... How was he going to maintain his integrity? How was he going to stay fresh? How was he going to become unspoiled? How was he going to protect that he wouldn't become rotten? He had to make sure that he brought with him his values, his inheritance, his heritage, his teachings. You know, the commentaries say, oh, he would see his father's face. Or there was, he had to have an attachment to his past, to his original place where he was uh, planted. And so how did he do that? They say that in his storehouses, when he would bring the corn or he would bring the wheat or the barley, he would take a little bit of the soil from those planting areas and put it in a pile in the same storehouse. So that that wheat or that, that grain 
would still be in some kind of proximity to where it came from. And all of a sudden now, when we're reading about Chag HaAsif, and we're saying, well, if it's a Chag HaYosef, if it's the Chag of Yosef, then what else does Yosef contribute to us? Many things. One of, you don't have to just be a shepherd your whole life. You could actually, in your journey of life, it's a, three, it's a 180 turn to go from being a shepherd to a farmer, but sometimes life requires us to reinvent or re-identify or add certain, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Add certain uh, skills, uh, another skill set to ourselves. Sukkot is going to be the one that's going to ask us to be flexible in that way. We can't just, you know, we're shaking the love and the etrog and we shake it up and we shake it down. We're really shaking ourselves up. We're really saying that we're not just stiff, that we can sway this way, we can go north and south and east and west in every way. Most importantly, I'd say primarily in our own minds, we need that flexibility. We need that ability, that broadness of mind to be able to go in all of these different directions. And so here, when we bring the daily offerings, yes, we bring what the shepherd would bring first, and then we bring what the farmer would bring. Why am I so excited about even this one little piece? Because if we're going to go where I intend to take you, which is to the first farmer and the first shepherd, which is to Cain and Hevel, if we're going to go there, then look what the Torah does. When we went to our original story of Cain and Hevel, so maybe I'll take you there very super quickly. It is in chapter 4. I'm just going to take you straight to it because otherwise we're, we're not going to get anywhere. I'll take you to verse 2. In verse 1, Chava gives birth to a child and she calls him Cain. And there's a lot to be said here. Cain, Kinyan, and Yaakov builds a sukafa miknehu. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about, maybe in another class. But she continues to give birth to his brother, Hevel. Vayhi Hevel ro'etzon. They first tell me that Hevel is a ro'etzon. And then they tell me that Cain, so Hevel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. But after some days, Cain, the farmer, brings his mincha to God. And Hevel brings his mincha second, and the rest is history. You know what happens. You know this doesn't end well. You know that this is the first expression of a physical offering brought to God, and we know it ends in fratricide. We know it's the first murder to be committed. We know there's a a severing, a tearing of brotherhood right over here, right in this story. The clash between the shepherd and the farmer. The, if the idea of Sukkot and happiness and me'asef and ingathering of brothers is going to be what we're celebrating on Sukkot, if that's going to be an element of our Chag HaAsif, 
then maybe we have to really go to the root of the fracture. And maybe in bringing our sacrifices now all the way in Parashat Pinchas, maybe Hashem is saying, you know something? Let's reverse the order. Let's let Hevel first bring his sacrifice, and then we'll have Cain bring his sacrifice. We're going to sort of chiastically mirror the way the sacrifices were brought, but we also want to create a repair. If we started with Cain and then Hevel brought his, this time we're going to start with Hevel and Cain's going to bring his, and maybe in doing so, we can close the circle. We can say to ourselves that this is the holiday where both, and this is why it's, it's going to be said, by the way, if you have the time to read through Parashat Pinchas, it can say on the Yom HaRishon, it's brought, on the Yom HaSheni, it's brought, on the Yom HaShelishi, it's brought, every single day, and it's going to say the same exact thing. It could have just said, and on days one through seven, all of these were brought. But it keeps repeating it to us over and over to let us know that every day God is going to accept both the farmer and the shepherd. Not just the farmer, not just the shepherd. What is he telling us? He's telling us he's going to accept us as well because when he accepted the sacrifice of Hevel, Hevel's sacrifice was bringing of himself and God receiving of Hevel because we always say the same thing God doesn't need our sacrifices he has, he's not even human he doesn't need all the barbecue and all the stuff he needs for us to bring of ourselves and to bring a showing and what's happening on Sukkot now is we're getting a chance to bring the mincha in the right way. Minchatam, the mincha that they brought before, is now going to be brought in an appropriate way. And what is God saying? I have enough room for both of you. When you realize, when we realize that there's enough room for the two brothers, and then we notice that there's enough room for the 12 brothers, then it'll allow us to also bring all of the 70 animals and say, wow, there's also enough room for the shiv'im umot, for all of the nations of the world. Because we are all one. We are all part of God's creations. We may be God's chosen people to carry the masoret. We may be the cherry on the top, but we can't throw away the cake. The entire universe is that cake, and we have a responsibility to that. And if we at the top are going to have a crack, what happens when there's a crack at the top? It keeps fracturing and fracturing, and it keeps going further and further. If you repair that, anybody remember back in the days with the stockings? They used to say, put clear nail polish. If you get a rip in your stocking so it doesn't continue running. Why? Because if you stop the crack, you'll stop the fracture. So what's the responsibility that we have today as God's cherry on his cake is we have to make sure and we have to look amongst ourselves and we have to make sure that we celebrate this holiday as a Chag HaAsif, as a time where we get our act together, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, whether it's socially, we need to bring everything together. It started on Yom Kippur. We had Ben Adam Lechavero, we had Ben Adam Lamakom, 
And now we are going to enter this place called Sukkot. And I'd like to show you now what we read on the Shabbat of Sukkot. It's very beautiful, and it's the one, the final reference of Sukkot in Torah. So if you'll turn to Parashat Re'eh in Sefer Devarim, chapter 16, and I'll jump right in to verse 13. Chag HaSukkot, now it's called Chag HaSukkot, it's the first time we're calling it Chag HaSukkot. We've had a Sukkah, it's been Chag LaHashem, it's been Chag HaAsif. Now it's finally being called Chag HaSukkot. Ta'aselecha. Please notice that if I told you that back in Vayikra, it's Usmachtem, Ulkachtem, everything was in the plural. Notice how now we brought everything back to the personal. We brought everything beyachid to the singular. Chag hasukot ta'aselecha. Seven days. Be'ospecha. When you collect from your produce. Ve'samachta. Remember all those words was usmachtem was in the plural? Now it's you. You're going to be happy on your holiday. You and your son and your daughter, your male and female servants, the levi, the ger, the orphan, the widow, everybody that is in your gates. For seven days, you're going to celebrate Tachog Lahashem. You're going to celebrate to God. And where are you going to celebrate and how are you going to celebrate? And this is very, uh, again, I say this a lot, but really, if you needed to carry around Pesukim, these Pesukim are ones that you should hold on to dearly. Bamakom asher yivchad, we've heard this term. So you're going to celebrate this chag Hashem in the place that he will choose, that Hashem will choose. Why? Ki yevarechecha Hashem Elohecha. Because Hashem, your God, will bless you. I'm going to flip it around because I can't help myself. And it really means the key is causative. And if you're going to celebrate this holiday and recognize that God is part of your celebration and part of your story and take him on your journey, then what's going to happen? Then God will bless you. It's a causative. The doesn't come first that God blesses you and then you're happy. No. It's the recognition and the realization that God is in your midst that will bring you the beracha. And not only you, it's gonna, you're going to be blessed, your grain is going to be blessed. You want to start crying, you can. Every, everything that your hand touches will be blessed. Here's that word again. You will be surely happy. I'm using the word surely. I don't have a, a great English word, but really the question lends itself as to what is happiness. Some of the best sellers out there 
are in quest of finding joy, of finding happiness, of, of achieving this sense of fulfillment. How are we going to find happiness? Where is happiness going to come from? Oh, says the Torah, happiness is not something that's going to come from external, from outside of you. You know, happiness, they say, is a state of mind. Joy is a state of mind. Means what? If you're in a place or in a space, you could choose at any given moment how you want to frame your space. You get to choose. How do you want to see your current circumstances? And however you define them, that's going to dictate whether or not, I'll just add one piece, if you see whatever your place is, whether you're Yosef in the jail, if you see that place or that space as God being with you there, then all of a sudden what's going to happen? You're going to be able to have the broadness of mind to say, hey, put in a good word for me. Because you're going to be able to see a way out of there. You're going to be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So you could see yourself at a point of vulnerability, at a point of instability. If you could see yourself as being together with Hashem, Hashem, then what's going to happen? Then Hashem is going to bless you because He is in that place with you and He's going to say, you know what? I don't like this dump any better than you do. Let's get the heck out of here. He's going to help you out of there. And even if it starts just in your mind, even if this exodus from hell is going to start only in your mind, Hashem is, that, that first of all is a blessing. To not live in a mental purgatory is in and of itself a blessing. But that will lead and open channels to new realities. And the realities are that your physical world will be blessed. Your tivu'ah will be blessed. Whatever you do will be blessed. If you're going to enter something with a negative energy and a bad attitude, like my mother says, either do it good or don't do it at all. If you're not going to do it with the right attitude, then don't even bother because your wine is going to turn to vinegar. You're not going to have a blessing in it. And that's going to be the true happiness. The happiness is in finding stability in the vulnerability. And three times a year, what does it say? You're going to see, not just, I know the English says, all of your males will see the face of God. I say, everything that you are remembered by, that you are remembered for, everything that you bring to memory. And what does that mean? It means, what are you choosing to remember? At any given point, are you choosing to remember all of the history and all of the blessings and all of the miracles? If you're choosing to see that, then you're going to see you're going to see God's face literally right in front of you. You're going to say, he did it for Sarah, he did it for Yosef, he did it for Chana, he did it for, did it for everybody, he's going to do it for me too. And all of a sudden, the holiday doesn't become a time, it becomes a makom, it becomes a place. Makom is another name for God. 
So God is the place. On Chag HaMatzot, on Chag HaShavuot, and Chag HaSukot, it's telling us, Lo yira'et p'nei Hashem rekam. Don't look towards God and see emptiness. Because if you look that way and see emptiness, it means that you didn't have Him in mind all along. So if you're going to come to God during these three pilgrimages, but not have Him in your frontal lobe as having been residing in and within you all along, then what's going to happen? You're going to come empty. And what happens when nothing's looking in the mirror? Well, then nothing's looking back. These words are the whole story. Everybody has a matana in his hand. There's not a person that's born, again, my mom, everybody comes into the world with a sandwich. What she means to say is that everybody has what they need to survive in this world. Everybody has a matana, and not just for them to survive, but for them to contribute. So, you know what my gift is in my hand? It's the blessing that God gave me. That God gave you. Notice how all of this is in the singular. After the holiday went and took us from this grand Sukkot experience, I forgot to add one piece, so maybe I'll add it to, for you here. After it took us through this grand Sukkot experience, inviting everybody to our Sukkah and all of that, when we had seen Sukkot in Parashat Emor, which was um, Vayikra 23, in verse 42, it says that you're going to sit in Sukkot for seven days, I forgot to tell you this part. So that future generations will know that I housed you in Sukkot when I took you out of Egypt. And so now the big question becomes, why am I sitting in Sukkot? And by the way, did God actually house us in Sukkot? Because really when we read back and forth, we don't see that we were in Sukkot. We were always in an ohel. We didn't have schach. Our, our uh, dwellings, matovu ohalecha Yaakov. We were really always in ohel moed. Ish petach ohalo. Everybody was in a tent. We weren't really in Sukkot. But what does God want us to know while we're in our Sukkot, celebrating our holiday? There are two different uh, uh, um, perspectives. I'll say it that way. The perspective, I'll go back to the farmer for a minute. The perspective of the farmer is that we're living in a natural world and part of the course of nature with the wind and the rain and the seeds and the planting, all of that is literally part of nature. So yeah, we're celebrating with our love and etrog, we're celebrating the natural part of the world. But there's no such thing as a natural part of the world without this other component. And when I say the shepherd component, where God shepherded us through the desert, where he says he housed us in booths, and he housed us in Sukkot, and he took us out of Egypt, you know what the Torah is really saying? You can't look at the world only from a natural progression and standpoint. 
we must see that within that progression there are miracles like never before was there ever an entire 600,000 men and children and women and cattle who marched out of the country that was enslaving them with iron gates. That never happened before. That's not natural. And the fact that I took you out and I split a sea and I fed you man and you survived 40 years in an arid desert. That's also why they say we didn't have Sukkot in the desert. Where were we going to get the schachs? Where were we going to get the vegetation? Where were we going to find the netrog in the middle of the desert? It's not about that. It's about recognizing the miraculous component within the nature that we are currently living in. And so I think, and I brought this today with me, I think one of the most beautiful Pirkei uh, Tehillim that is so often read, but I don't know if we really process it with Sukkot in our mind, is the 23rd Perik of Tehillim. Most of you might even know it by heart. Mizmor David, Hashem Ro'i Lo Echzad. It starts with God being our shepherd. And what are we saying in our sukkah? I believe we are expressing exactly this mizmor. And we're saying when God is my shepherd, there's nothing that I'm going to be lacking. Bin'ot deshayar bitzeni. He brings me to these uh, green pastures. And he leads me to Menuchot, Manoach, resting, still, calm waters. That's where he's going to lead me to. And you see the word desha and you say, wait, the shepherd is taking me to this place with his grass and there's water. If we were his livestock, we would be very well fed. There's also a component where the shepherd is interacting with nature in order to feed his flock. Nafshi Yeshovev, he brings my soul back. Yancheni b'magale tzedek, and he leads me in the path of tzedek. Lema'an shemo, for his, for the sake of his name. And these are the words that we say when we work into our sukkah, whether we actually uh, um, express them. This is the idea that we need to have that Sukkot offers us, and that is Gam Ki Elech, even if I'm walking Beget Salmavet in the shadow of darkness, Lo Irara, even at my most vulnerable, even in my most precarious position, even in my scariest time, Lo Irara, I'm not gonna fear evil. Because I know that I have Hashem with me. Shiftecha, your shevet, your staff, mishantecha, that thing that you lean on, hema yenachamuni. It's your staff, and we know shepherds very often, you see the shepherd's staff, right? I know in my mind that even as I'm going through these scary times, I know that your stick, your staff, is sort of rearing me and guiding me and, and uh, um, leading me 
to a, a place of comfort. And there's also a beautiful way to read it, shiftecha. You know, a shevet is something that you could sort of like smack somebody with, you could hit somebody with, with but even God, while you're hitting me with your staff and I'm getting a little, uh, you know, maybe bruised or a little bit uh, injured from this, this guiding that you're giving me, but I know that you're doing it for my sake. I know that even the bumps and even the bruises, they might be caused by your stick, but because in the long run, maybe you're keeping me away from something either more dangerous or more harmful. I know that this journey even painful as it might be, I know you're with me on this journey, but most importantly, I know you're my shepherd, and a shepherd always wants the best for his flock. Ta'aroch lefanai. You know what you do for me, Hashem? You spread before me shulchan, and entire, everything is totally set and open and available to me. Neged sorerai. Even in the face of my enemies. In other words, even... Back to Yaakov, katonti mikola chasadim. Even when I'm at the place where I think that there is an adversary and I am in a very, very compromising position, what do you do, God? You lay out a table for me, meaning you give me all of my needs, everything that I need to be able to navigate the next chapter in my life, we say to God. I know you've laid it out before me. I just have to be smart enough to pick up those pieces and arm myself with them so that I can uh, um, move to the next level and I could be, and I could prevail. Dishanta b'shemen roshi kosi revaya. You have poured oil on my head. Kosi revaya. My cup is overflowing. All of this is a mental acknowledgement that God, you anointed me. God, my cup is overflowing. Is everybody who's reading chapter 33 feeling anointed with their cup being flown over? No, but very often when we read it, we remember that if God is the shepherd, then whatever's in my cup for me is overflowing. My cup is always half full or according to the Meshoret, even nicer, it's revaya, it's overflowing. Ach tov vachesed yardefuni. Please, Hashem, ach. Remember mehiyita ach sameach, or ach on the 15th day of the seventh month? Maybe it's connected to this ach. And this ach is saying, if you recognize that tov and chesed is pursuing us, Whatever it is that's pursuing me, it's tov and it's chesed. All the days of my life, do you know why? V'shavti bevet Hashem le'orech yamim. Because I'm always going to be sitting, the place, the makom asher yivchad, the place that I am going to choose is the place that is the house that has Hashem in it which is so beautiful because usually when I'm in a place where I am feeling unsettled, when my, I'm feeling uh, um, unprotected, I am feeling vulnerable in that place, that might be a, otherwise called a sukkah, where I am subject to the whims of the world. But if I'm with Hashem, then shafti bevet Hashem then my sukkah becomes a home, becomes a place of stability, of security. Rabbi Sachs says it beautifully. 
He says a sukkah is spiritual security in the midst of physical vulnerability. This idea of us living in the house of Hashem, le'orech yamim, for all of our days or for the length of our days, you know what the Meshoreh is really telling us? We get to make this choice every day. This is not a request of God. This is a request of ourselves, where we ask ourselves, can we be at home? Can we feel... Uh, uh, um, secure in a place of insecurity? Can we? As long as we realize that Hashem is Ro'i, that Hashem is our our shepherd, as long as we can realize that nature is one and together we're going to asif. What are we bringing together? We're not just bringing together Cain and Hevel and telling them, okay, you two make up already. It's time for the two of you to come together. We're going to resemble it in our... um, offerings that we're going to bring. We're going to bring together the natural world and the spiritual world. The world that says things have to be a certain way because they go according to a certain course with the world that says nothing is as it appears or has to be because everything and anything is possible. We're going to bring those two worlds together. And when we're able to bring those two worlds together, we're able to finally call this Chag HaAsif that we celebrate in the Sukkah, we call that Chag LaHashem, the holiday of the Yud Kevavke, the holiday that births his created us to understand and realize and recognize that we too create our own realities, that we too can create the peace that's in our fractured world, we too can bring all of the elements that he put in this world, the entire, you know, they say about the, the Lulav, Etrog, Hadas, and Arava, that it represents four different types of people. You know, the Lulav has a taste and a smell, and they say that taste is um, learning of Torah, and I think smell is our actions. I'm not sure if it goes that way or the other way, but regardless, the, oh, I actually I wrote it down here. Um, yes, so f- um, fragrance is Torah knowledge, and taste is the action. So when we're thinking about the minim, we recognize that there are people that are all Torah knowledge without so much action or all action without Torah knowledge, or both, or neither. I'm going to hold them all together. We're going to bring them all together because when we all in this universal holiday recognize that we have what to contribute, every person has matinat yado, everybody has something that they can bring. When we asif, when we bring all of ourselves together, when we bring our best self to the table, when we bring our a knowledge and our belief and our sense of faith that Hashem is our Ro'i, then we can enter that sukkah, v'shavti bevet Hashem. It might be my sukkah, but it's God's house. My sukkah, my vulnerability, is Hashem's uh, uh, protection. 
So I'm going to go into this sukkah that in the physical world may seem like a place of uh, instability, but when I go in there, I have to know that that is Hashem's house. And as Hashem's house, we're always protected. That is the way Hashem operates. And so I wish you all a beautiful upcoming Sukkot holiday. May it be blessed with a uh, peace and tranquility and a sense of security, a sense of brotherhood. We invite the Ushpizin, but before we invite those people from the past, we have to invite our close people. This is why we made peace on Yom Kippur, so we could have our brothers sitting at our table in our sukkah. How am I going to invite you for Sukkot if I didn't make peace with you on Yom Kippur? We have to go and go out there. And by the way, there's still, I always say it's not over. <laughs> Nothing expires. The beautiful thing about Torah is even if you missed Yom Kippur, well, guess what? You could always pick up your neighbor, pick up the phone and call your neighbor or call a sibling or call a loved one or call an estranged one and say, hey, I'm hosting the first night of Sukkot. Would you like to come and join us? That's what the holiday is about, about ha'asif, about gathering ourselves, gathering others, finding shalom, and in this place of shalom, that's the place where Hashem resides, and that's why it's bayit Hashem. that's why it's Hashem's home. Anyway, I wish you all a beautiful year, a beautiful holiday, wherever you're celebrating, may you merit to have Shekhinah join you, and may you feel your sukkah to be Bet Hashem. Happy holiday.